welcome to Recast, presented by the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each episode will look at a key issue of mission or discipleship for church leaders in Scotland. We will be bringing you key voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the church in Scotland. Welcome along to The Recast. My name is Glenn Innes and I'm here with my co-host Lisa. Hi everybody. We are, um, we have rebranded as The Recast. We talked about this the last time. We talked about why we changed the name, but we just want to remind you something of that because when we started this podcast about three and a half years ago, one of the things we were talking about was mission and it was really all about mission. But actually we've realized that that's maybe just a little bit too narrow. And that uh, we don't live our Christian lives in these kind of silos. They're actually much more integrated than that. And we also know that Jesus wanted our lives to be more integrated than that, which is partly where the name comes from. So recast, we see Jesus uh, twice telling his disciples to recast their nets in the water. The first time is when he's calling them to begin with, and he calls them to be fishers of people. In other words, it's a missional task. The second time is in that wonderful passage at the end of the Gospel of John, where we see them him once again tell them to recast their fish, to catch all these fish. But this time it's not about mission, it's about restoration, it's about a deeper, loving relationship with Jesus. And we recognize that these two things brought together are really what the call to follow Jesus is is all about. And so we want to reflect something of that journey and that journey particularly that we experience as leaders in our podcast over the next little while. Isn't that right, Lisa? That sounds absolutely fantastic. And uh, yeah, so much, pretty much everything can fit underneath that as well, can't it, which makes it perfect for us. Absolutely. So we we have a carte blanche to do pretty much whatever we want. Um, it is the 12th of January when we're recording this, Lisa. It has been uh-huh. Christmas and New Year since we recorded the last one. Uh, how was your Christmas? Well, it wasn't anything like we'd planned. And um, yeah, so um, our daughter, who's been away at university, um, she managed to contract COVID um, in France. So that was oh, perfect. No. But- but at least we got a home, which was looking a bit dubious at one point. Oh, wow. So um, so she was isolated in a room. Um, and uh, thankfully, the rest of us managed to not get COVID. But instead of that, we got streaming colds instead. So um, it was, yeah, I think we did Christmas on, well, a version on January the 3rd in the end. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't really quite the plan. And yeah. You know, we always think the Christmas holidays, you really look forward to it, don't you? But to be honest, I think most of us are struggling to get out of our beds in the morning. It's so dark, isn't it? And, mm. and grey. And yeah. and you're still you're out. still living down in, in Yorkshire too. You want to see how dark it is up here? Yeah, it's quite dark and grey down here. I just want to be one of those animals that hibernates right now, if I'm truthfully yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. I'd quite like to be under my duvet for the whole of January. Sounds and, good. And um, just come out to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's kind of an exhausting time, isn't it? And I, and I don't think there's many people who are full of the joys of spring in January. And a lot of people have had a bit a bit of a rough rough time, haven't they? And yeah, a bit weary. Yeah, and and, and a cumulative thing, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. it's uh, it's months and years of stuff, and then uh-huh. once again a Christmas that perhaps was less than thrilling for. <laughs> Some people, and especially you, uh, especially when you've got to bump Christmas to the 3rd of January. 
And I mean, I guess in some ways that gives a, a bit of a, a point to what we're going to do with uh, the podcast for the first few episodes here. Um, we're going to take some time to talk about mental health, about mm-hmm. the kind of spiritual disciplines around that, about uh, some uh, resources, some people who have good things to say and experience, frankly, uh, in that space uh, over the next two or three uh, or maybe even four episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be hopefully really encouraging because sometimes you can feel really alone. So actually just hearing that you're not alone, lots of people feel the same and just about how maybe we can encourage each other and how we can be God's people in this moment as well and um, some good pointers and resources and ideas of how to look after ourselves is also good, isn't it? Absolutely. And so we got our first interview here with Patrick Regan uh, from an organisation called Kintsugi Hope. Uh, So we hope you enjoy this interview and uh, we'll be back with a couple of thoughts afterwards. Um, today on our recast podcast, uh, we have uh, the lovely Patrick Regan with us. Um, Patrick, we met each other quite a number of years ago. Now, I think we were both uh, working at Spring Harvest together, and uh, subsequent to that, we're on the, the leadership team together, which is quite worrying for Spring Harvest, isn't it, really? Um, so it's just brilliant to have you with us today. And um, so, first of all, maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, what you're doing. There's probably quite a lot of people who might not have met you yet as you live in the deep south of England that is um yeah so um Patrick uh, I've got four children and uh oh. three teenagers so that's why I always look haggied I know you can't see me but that's the reason and uh, I um I head up a charity called Kintsugi Hope which is a charity that's wanting to support people in their emotional and mental health um and I've been doing that for the last three or four years it's been really exciting Brilliant. So um, I think people may be a bit familiar with the idea of kintsugi now. That's the Japanese pottery thing, isn't it? With the broken bits, which are filled in with with gold. Do you want to tell us a bit about why you chose that as your yeah. symbol? We definitely call it the pottery thing. That's what it says on all our... <laughs> <laughs> no. um, so kintsugi is a Japanese word and it means golden joinery. And I guess the whole thing really came through a time where I felt completely broken in my life. And I came across this image where, you know, if we break a pot here in the, um, I guess you made it with super glue and you try and hide <laughs> the cracks and you pretend it's all okay. Or yeah. if we're honest, we'll probably just chuck it away these days. Yeah. Um, and what they do in Japan is they put a gold powder in the glue. So instead of hiding the cracks, they make a feature of the cracks. So arguably, the object becomes more beautiful for being broken. It certainly becomes more unique. There isn't a pot mm-hmm. like that pot on planet Earth. And I guess I've just become a firm believer that beauty can come out of brokenness and yeah. that our scars aren't there to be ashamed of. They, they make us who we are. Um, even Jesus in his resurrected body has scars. And, uh, and so that's why I think the image of Kintsugi has been so special to so many people. Yeah, it really does seem to resonate, doesn't it? Um, tell us a bit about something else about you that we might not read on the, on the front page of your website or the back cover of your book. Tell us something that might surprise us. Oh, wow. <laughs> Put me on the spot there, um, Lisa. Um, I used to be a semi-pro football player. Not many people. Did you? Yeah, for culture stuff, that very famous team. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um which which was really really nice (laughs) yeah i'm sure that was probably easier life (laughs) 
it's the only thing that gives me credibility of my kids to be honest so excellent yeah. well life's all about that isn't it? Having <laughs> credibility with our kids and so, i'm pretty terrified of dolphins i had an experience oh wow that's unusual i, I was in egypt i was swimming in the wild sea um and wild waters trying to find dolphins and i nearly drowned and uh, it was complete I mean, it was comedy looking back now, uh, how it was. But ever since then, I'm like, I, I don't want to go near a dolphin ever again. Okay. <laughs> I feel like maybe that's a story that needs to tell him more often. <laughs> it definitely is. Yeah. Maybe you need prayer or something. <laughs> I need prayer. I need so, um, Patrick, one of the things that you've um, spoken a lot about over the last few years is around resilience and mm-hmm. uh, honesty and just a bit of authenticity, really. And I mean, it's been a really tough time, hasn't it? And um, it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving every time we think that we're making some progress and life will return to whatever version of normal. Then it's another challenge and another difficult, um, exhausting time. And, you know, is it is it actually possible for us to be resilient? How do we do that? How do we grow resilience like right now when it's perhaps the last thing that we're feeling like? doing any thoughts around that idea yeah i mean i think it's how you define resilience isn't it because when when you say resilience to a lot of people they think is that just means i've just got to keep going and toughen it out mm-hmm. and, and then what that brings out is burnout and exhaustion in most people yeah and and it was really interesting because i wrote a book called bouncing forwards and i wrote it literally two weeks before i um, started i uh, got the deal with my publisher two weeks before the pandemic started <laughs> And it was really interesting because I found this definition of resilience, which talks about resilience is thriving in the midst of adversity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean adversity disappears. Mm-hmm. It means within it that we find a way of being able to thrive. And and I came across this concept where a lot of people describe resilience as the ability to bounce back. You know, you'll hear it on the news. Will the economy bounce back? Will the church bounce back? Will mm-hmm. education bounce back? NHS and, and when I was researching for the book, I was like, I'm not sure I want to bounce back. Why would I want to go back to my pre-trauma self? Why would I want to go back to a couple of years ago? That I've learned things for good and for bad through this process. So we started to look at the concept of what does it mean to bounce forwards? What does it mean to take this time and the, all the challenges um, in terms of the way we do relationships, the way we do church? Um, what does that look like? How do we build resilience for a time such as this um, was such an important question for us to answer. That's really good, isn't it? Really good. I, I like that idea of bouncing forwards. Um, yeah, because I think that no one's really desperate to go back. And actually back is so far back now that we can't even really remember what it was. Um, and flourishing in adversity. Yeah. I mean, how do you flourish, though, when it when it's all going a bit pear-shaped and when it's all falling down around you and you're absolutely exhausted? How, how do you do flourishing in that? Yeah, which is an amazing question, isn't it? Um, there was a, a woman called Susan David who's written extensively on this, but she talks about the three Cs, and I found that really helpful in terms of trying to remember um, something that I can apply during my week. And she talks about having courage as number one, and talks about courage is asking for help sometimes it's not just the plowing through again you know and we know that Brene Brown the famous research professor has done loads on Mm. courage and vulnerability being the same thing she says the latin word for courage is cur it means to speak your mind with your heart 
um, to show up and let your true self be seen and, and, and having courage at this time, you know, allowing people to help you is so important. Mm. The second C she talks about, which I think is really interesting, is curiosity. And what she's saying in that is actually to get curious about what your thoughts and what your emotions are trying to tell you. Um, so you take an emotion like sadness, you know, sadness isn't actually a bad emotion. It's probably telling you that you really care about something. Mm. And, and that's a sign to you and to others how deeply you care about that. Um, anger is another emotion I think a lot of people have gone through. And again, you know, in the Bible does it say don't get angry. It says in your anger, do not sin. Um, you know, let anger be a visitor, but not a resident, it says in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and so, again, I think it's getting curious around why am I feeling like this? What is this trying to tell me? You know, and then she says, and I think this is very true, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> <laughs> my wife now tells me this all the time. And, uh, she, she tells my book back to me. But don't believe everything you think. You know, it's good to question. It's good to doubt sometimes. You know, not everything is certain. And then thirdly, and this is the one I think for us church leaders and people involved in leadership and, and I guess just life really, it's hard is compassion and particularly self-compassion because I remember when my counselor told me to show myself more self-compassion my immediate reaction was I'm a bloke I don't do baths I don't do candles um and she looked at me going you've totally misunderstood what this is because <laughs> self-compassion is very different to self-indulgence and think some of the things we think bring self-compassion actually make us feel guilty in the long run <laughs> um <laughs> Self-compassion is talking to yourself the way that you would talk to your best friend because you wouldn't dare talk to your best friend the way you talk to yourself. And I think actually they've really helped me during the pandemic, you know, that sense of courage, curiosity and compassion and particularly self-compassion, which I know has been very hard for me. That's great. That's that's really great, Patrick. I'm wondering about, um, you know, taking that to the level of practicality. Um, you know, a, lo- a lot of our leader, a lot of our listeners will be uh, leaders of churches, and uh, they're maybe stretched a bit thin. And the idea of resilience has been just what you described—that kind of "I'll just keep going," not least because we're Scottish and there's something in the water about that. Um, uh, but, but you know, these things of courage and curiosity, and particularly that last one of compassion. I mean, you know, it, it's not a bath and candles, but it, what 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 is it? Or at least maybe what was it for you, if you're willing to share that? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it can be those practical things um, and finding out, um, you know, what gives you energy, I guess. And uh, one of the, again, analogy I found really helpful is what they describe as the resilience river. I don't know if you've come across this, where they're basically saying at the bottom of every river, there's rocks. And, and if the river's levels are low, then you're going to bang into those rocks. And I guess those rocks represent things in our lives like anxiety, disappointment, complex relationships. And for a lot of us, actually, those things don't magically disappear. Um, But what we do is we learn to manage them. And but I know that if my resilience rivers is low, I'm far more likely to crash. And, you know, it's like when you're tired, everything's worse. Right. And it's so easy. And so we've been asking the question, what are the things that drain our resilience rivers? And and for me, it was a real sense of I had to let go of perfectionism. You know, I just I just love things being perfect, 100 <laughs> percent right. You know, and that can affect our decision making. It can affect um, our thinking. And actually, the things that raise my resilience levels 
are having a self-compassion. It is connecting to my values and making sure that, that I'm living the things out that give me energy. And the problem is, I think, Glenn, is one size never fits all. And what often people want is a nice little list, a nice little neat, tidy, you know, here are your five things that you must do and then you'll be fine. But the reality is we're all very different. And, and so what we need to do is we need to start having that self-awareness to go, for me, my personality, who I am, what raises my energy levels, what really gets me going and try and put those aspects into our lives. I think that's really helpful, um, especially that kind of individual aspect uh, aspect to it. I, as our church, as, we, as we're in this moment of, um, well, hopefully shifting in terms of our experience of the pandemic, uh, we're in January 2022, it feels a little like things might get better or be getting better. You know, it's hard not to say that through gritted teeth and just with a, a sense of somewhat hope. But um our churches are, are uh, in our uh, in our communities, recognizing that mental health has been uh, an issue in our communities and will continue to be an issue in our communities into the future. Um, and and recognizing we want to do things to support that as uh, churches that reach out into our communities. But the reality is there's not a lot of extra energy available either within the leadership or within the churches themselves when there's a, a kind of level of kind of basic exhaustion H how can we go about supporting people in our communities when we ourselves are exhausted yeah it's a, it's a really good question and i have to say i'm not an expert in any of this but i think for me um a number of years ago i was in that place of real exhaustion burnout ex um just not wanting to do anything really and it was in that place that we, me and my wife, died. We started a charity called Kintsugi Hope, which we referred to earlier. And one of the really interesting things that we wanted to do is to work out, because um, I said to God, I'll do anything for you apart from run another charity, um, because I never want to fundraise ever again in my life. Uh, I don't do Christian politics very well. I don't do that whole thing. And I'm like, I just want a simple life. And, and, <laughs> And it was really interesting. I really felt that that sense of, can we create something where you belong, but you don't have to fit in? Because um, there was something life-giving about belonging for all of us. And uh, and so we looked at park run. You know, you run in parks across this country, different cultures, different ages, different abilities. Um, we looked at rock choir, same thing. Weight Watch, the Slimming World. And in the end, we designed this like 12-week program loosely based on Alcoholics Anonymous uh, around well-being. And uh, we looked at, you know, honesty, anxiety, shame, stigma. We wrote it all in learning styles um, because every context is different. Scotland will be different to London. It'll be different to Wales. It'll be different to the Midlands. So we wrote it all in learning styles so you can adapt it to your context. And then we started to deliver it in our community. And it was fascinating um, because my home group that we started to do it in um, was about eight. And when we started inviting all our neighbours to this, it, went to 17 overnight um and just people just started loving the material going this is just what we need at the moment and i remember going into that going i'm not sure i could be bothered to do another yet another thing you know because i think sometimes as church leaders we think oh my goodness we've got cap for poverty and street passes for crime <laughs> we have to tickle these boxes but then i realized when i was in this room with these 17 people some that i didn't know that actually 
I wasn't there to rescue them. I wasn't there to fix them. There was no them and us. It was like, we are here to be real and to be honest and to share in our common humanity together. And I think after those 12 weeks, one is our relationships grew to an amazing level where I felt really loved and supported afterwards <laughs> and still with great relationships with those people now. But secondly, it was like, oh my goodness, I have learned so much from you. And I think sometimes when we go into this sort of stuff, it's like the mentality that we go with. And, and I think what we've tried to go is, I feel like we need to turn the whole mission thing on its head. You know, Paul was like, I boast in my weakness. Um, the theologian Sam Wells, you know, talks about the story of the Good Samaritan going, in the West, we always think we're the Good Samaritan. We always play that bit, you know, in the, in the play. Whereas the Good Samaritan is Jesus. And maybe we're the person at the side of the road that's broken and beaten up and needs help. And, uh, and so I think the Kintsugi group for me literally just flipped it on its head. Um, and, and of course, now it's, it's just grown crazy across the, the UK, really, um, which has been amazing. Yeah. Sorry, can I just clarify? I mean, so I'm not super familiar with Kintsugi Hope uh, as, a, yeah. as an organization. So is it primarily the course? Is that what... Uh, the organization is or is it something more than that yeah so basically what kintsugi hope does it trains and works with churches or charities to deliver well-being programs in their community and some do it within their church to start with um and some do it as a mixture um some churches are being trained and the training is all online so people could do it anywhere um, people have gone and run it in homeless shelters. Uh, it's been running in the NHS. It's been running in football clubs and businesses and sports clubs and schools and universities and prisons. Before the pandemic, we were working with 40 partner churches who we trained. Since the pandemic, um, we are now working with 320. So I've trained over a thousand, well, 1,200 leaders now. And, and it's just spreading in the grassroots of the community. What's really exciting me is about a third of the people coming to the Kintsugi groups are um, from a non-faith background. And whereas I think with something like Alpha, which is amazing, I guess you've got to be into the Christian faith and want to find out more. I think well-being and mental health is a leveller um, in the sense that we're all going through different stuff and and it's about coming together and you know um and i think it's a really important part for the church to play i often say to people if you've got cancer you'd expect the medical professionals to give you chemo radiotherapy and all the medication that you need to get through but to get through a cancer journey you guys would know from the people that you've supported you need love community and support and i feel like we can't do what mental health professionals can do and we shouldn't try but actually we can offer love community and support and that's where the church comes in. The church is in every community across this country. We've had people come to faith. We've had people come back to faith. We've had people on week two with suicidal thoughts. By week 12, they've gone and got a job. Um, we've had beautiful people who, we had this lovely mum who, um, well, she'd lost her kid to foster care, actually. And we did a group for all these mums uh, that had lost their kids to foster care. And their self-esteem so low because basically you've had a judge say, you're not fit to be a mum. And uh, and so for the first three weeks, they did it on Zoom and they they sat with the lights off, this this lady. Um, you, can, you knew she was there. You could see her silhouette, but you couldn't see her face. And week four is on shame. And we talk about shame. Stepping out of shame is about owning your story, that shame loves silence, secrecy, and judgment, said Brene Brown. Um, by week five, she has a light on. 
And I'm like, that's what Jesus does. That Jesus always dealt with people's shame before their guilt and, and that whole thing. And, and so I think what Kintsugi Hope has done is it's created a, a way that the church can engage in this issue of well-being, mental health. Um, and it's, it's been such an honor just to meet just the most amazing people running this stuff all over the shop. Yeah, we, so the church that I was recently leading, um, we partnered with Kintsugi Hope um, and got a bunch of people trained up and the training is just absolutely excellent. Um, and the process for training is really good as well and uh, ended up starting the groups online, which seemed like the worst possible thing for actually talking about such personal and vulnerable issues. But actually lots of people found it easier because you know they could turn the screen off if they got upset uh, or sit in the dark or you know not have to worry about staying afterwards and having chit chat with people or, or whatever and um just a uh, amazing mixture of you know, people not no faith yet really really mature christians at the other end and still just talking about these things and a huge level of uh, honesty and integrity and, and now they're starting to do some face-to-face groups as, as well um yeah, it's just been a, a massive gift uh, to the church that I was part of for a good while. So, yeah, give it a go. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Lisa. That's really, it's really, it's really encouraging to hear. And it's been, um, it's been a really interesting journey. You know, um, again, when we started Kintsugi Hope Up, I had no idea the pandemic was around the corner. <laughs> and, um, and it was almost like, I just thank God that we did it. You know, I've been meeting with a lot of heads of denomination. They're like, we need to rush for a wellbeing course because of what's going on. And I'm like, well, actually, you know, why don't you, why don't we work together? You know what it's like? Everyone talks about networking, but in reality, everyone does their own thing um and actually we've surely one of the things we've got to learn from what we've been through is that actually we've got to lay down ego and brand and go actually we need to start being much more joined up um we haven't got the resources to carry on plowing our fell um so it's been yeah it's been a lovely it's been some lovely stories Uh, patrick that's a lot about kind of how we can engage with uh, the 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 world outside us, the, uh, how we can engage our communities through Kintsugi Hope, but also just that, that some of those more general questions. I mean, uh, there's another aspect to this, which is that I think it would be fair to say that the church hasn't traditionally done very well looking at the question of mental health within our own four walls sort of thing. That um, that it, it, it's, it's been a place of shame, it's been a place uh, of uh, hiddenness and secrecy. Um how might we do those things differently? Well, not not the shame and secrecy. We'd probably rather just not do them. But how how do we deal with mental health better within within the church itself? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We've just done a whole load of research um, with Fios around this. And one of the things that they use, they use this really lovely term that when the church is a gentle presence, um, it does really well. Um, and that gentle presence might be a renewed well-being space. It may be a Kintsugi Hope thing. It may be looking at some of these issues from a theological point of view. Um, but wherever they've done really well is when they've valued relationship over numbers. And one of the things I've been really challenged about during the pandemic, I guess, is and, and as I've spoken to so many church leaders and so many people in other areas of leadership as well, is um, is looking at actually what are our values? You know, how do we measure success in the church? 
traditionally it's been about numbers. Um, you know, back in the day, for anyone that's been involved in leadership, most denominations, you send off your numbers to your head office of how many people were there on a Sunday and how much they're giving and, you know, and, and festivals like how many people became Christians at this event and how many, and it's all about numbers. Productivity is all about numbers. And, and yet what the pandemic did was our values shifted so quickly. So our low skill workers became the people that, you know, are highly skilled workers in a week. Um, and suddenly people started caring more about health and family and relationship. And, and I'm so, I'm sort of saying to us at the moment is, is I feel like we need to look as a society is what is actually really important to us. Let's challenge our values and make our decisions out of that value base. And so I know for us at Kintsugi Hope, we have our values on the wall and we're like, you know, how do we make decisions that are relational, that are generous, that are authentic, that are honest? And, and I think as a church at the moment, it's looking at what is our priorities. You know what? We can't do everything and we can't boil the ocean. Um, there's a maturity in accepting our limitations. I get that, but we can do something. But I think the value conversation is really important. Um, I love that. You can't boil the ocean. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> I think there's quite a lot of us still feeling like that's really the task. And, um, and also just a bit about relationships. I think particularly when in church life, not necessarily everyone's coming back to church um, immediately or maybe even ever. Actually investing in deepening relationships is something we can do, isn't it? Uh, as actually, sometimes we can do that better because we're not doing so many of the other activity things that we might have been doing before so actually that that's um something that we can feel that we can do patrick there's just so much wisdom in what you've said i, I keep thinking of these little sound bites and um what i want to kind of go back and, and listen to again and um, reflect some more on and um you know that image of of the river as well you know i think uh, quite a few of us in january 2022 are bouncing along on the rocks at the bottom and um Personally, I quite like baths and candles, so I might might go down that track. <laughs> um, I'm getting into it, to be fairly so. It's, uh, so yeah. <laughs> you know, I really feel that the message for um, people asking me, what do I feel like, the message for the church at the moment, and, and, and there's this, the last chapter in the book we call Go Gently, and, and I did a load of research, and, you know, gentleness and strength are so intertwined. And, you know, you think about Elijah, don't you? He's suicidal. He's in that place. God speaks to him in a gentle whisper. Um, in Galatians, where someone has sinned, it says, restore them gently. Mm -hmm. um, we describe Jesus. He describes himself as gentle and lowly um, in Matthew 11. And I started to realize that actually that's actually a really beautiful way to finish in the sense of go gently. Mm -hmm. It's not you don't have to be all things to all people and uh, that God is looking at the condition of our hearts. And again, that bit in Samuel, you know, men look on the outside appearance, God looks at the heart. Where's our hearts at before God yeah. at the moment? And, uh, and people are exhausted, people are shattered, and uh, they've done incredibly well, you know. One, again, the really interesting bit of research I did was I met a Holocaust survivor, um, Eva Shalos. Um, she's Anne Frank's stepsister. Yeah. And they said there was this amazing piece of research that's said the people that survived the Holocaust were not the optimists. 
the optimists were all a little bit like we were saying, everything's getting better. We're going to be out by Easter. We're all going to be yeah. good. Next year, we're all going to be back to normal. I've heard so many people say that in the last couple of weeks. She said the people who were the optimists who said, I'll be out by Christmas, I'll be out by Easter, they died really quickly after those mm. things went. She said the people that did well in Auschwitz were the people that accepted the situation because acceptance um, is different to resignation. Resignation mm. is I quit acceptance is I'm accepting that this is difficult but then adapted to it but never lost hope and I think that's amazing if we can accept that this is tough and it might be tough for a long time a lot of counsellors at the moment are using this phrase safely uncertain how can we embrace uncertainty but know that our identity and security is still in God and how do we accept it how do we adapt and let's never ever lose hope mm-hmm brilliant uh thank you yeah that's even in just that sentence there's a huge amount isn't there to encourage each other walk with each other pray for each other mm. around and um so if people want to read more from you patrick um your first book on honesty over silence and then the most recent one which is bouncing forwards and uh patrick's going to be up in uh edinburgh and in inverness at the end of march this year so you might catch him there um and uh, just have a look and listen to some of the, th- the other things that Patrick's done um, and be encouraged. Um, and thank you again, Patrick, for your time and for all the wisdom and experience you've shared with us this afternoon. So I don't know about you, Glenn, but I just uh, really enjoyed listening to Patrick. Uh, and uh, Patrick, is just so many things that he's mentioning that, so pertinent and make you kind of think oh I really need lots of time to, to think more about that yeah. you know the bit I, I quite like that was a bit different um reminded me of that film Inside Out actually was the bit about curiosity around emotions mm. um and uh I think one of the little characters on Inside Out is the sad one isn't it and they're never liked because they're sad but it's actually understanding what does sadness mean and asking that question around you know what's about anger telling me what am I angry at or why am I angry why do I feel sad and just being able to interpret some of the emotions I don't think I'm always the best at interpreting emotions in a slightly different way give some more thought reflection to understanding what's going on inside me when I feel these things um rather than just kind of feeling cross that's another one isn't it that I feel sad or I feel a bit angry but actually kind of hearing what's going on, understanding that a bit, addressing it a little bit more and praying about it, bringing it to God, understanding what he's saying in it as well. I found that really helpful to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the idea of resource in our church as well um, for how we engage with the community outside um, through you know organisations like Kintsugi Hope or we're going to talk uh, next time to Ruth Rice uh, with Renew Wellbeing. These kind of things I, I think are really helpful. Um, and as a church leader, I, I feel pretty challenged actually about that whole space of um, do I have compassion for myself in the midst of this, and 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 the the courage to say to someone actually, wait a minute, I'm struggling, and you know that's that can be a tough thing to do, especially in a local church, right? Because you mm-hmm. can sometimes feel like well, the only people I can go to are my leaders, and if I tell them that I'm struggling, then 
what, what, mm-hmm. like that's not that's not the job that's not my role so mm-hmm. um i mean i i guess just practically if people wanted to get in touch with the baptist union can get in touch with you in touch with me martin mm-hmm. ali uh, any of us uh, andrew we would we would love to talk to anybody that's in that space of just saying actually wait a minute I, i'd love to chat about this but um yeah. not that we're positioning ourselves as experts but but fellow journeyers in this uh I think would be would be something I feel pretty challenged about that sense of just courage uh, to be open. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that bit that Patrick said about um, you wouldn't speak to anyone else in the way that you speak to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really, it's a really good challenge, isn't it? Because sometimes we think that what other people will say to us is the kind of things that we're saying to ourselves, like "Come on, get a grip. You could do better than this. You need to be more successful." And actually, in the main, other people are much more genuinely compassionate and understanding and with us and for us if we give them a chance to share our story and where we are at that particular point um in, in exactly the same way as we would be compassionate to them uh you know mm-hmm. like like that's the thing we just uh, I, I thought that was a brilliant insight that, mm. that he brought well listen we hope that you have found that really helpful i think that's uh, been a great conversation Uh, We're going to carry on this theme with Ruth Rice and with others over the course of the next uh, couple of weeks and months that will continue to hopefully resource you uh, and strengthen us all as we seek to journey forward in our time together. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We uh, hope you've enjoyed it. If you would like to give us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Please do get in touch with us through the Baptist Union website or through uh, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and uh, let us know what it is that you want. If you've got time to give us a wee review on whatever it is that you listen to us, that's really helpful to let others find us. Uh, And please do tell other people about uh, the recast and what we're doing here if you have enjoyed it. If you haven't enjoyed it, you don't need to tell anyone, it's fine. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'm Glenn. Lisa has been with me, and we are out. Out.